Well, good morning. It's been, a, it's been an awesome time already this morning, and I believe God is really, really wanting to do some incredible things in us and through us as we spend some time together this morning. And I, I want to kind of set it up this way as we continue on in this unshakable series. There are times in my life where I have these reflection moments, and I look back and I think, you know, that wasn't my best. That wasn't my most um, proud moment. And um, that happens for me a lot. It may not ever happen for you, but it happens for me almost on, a, on the daily. And uh, so now I'm going to tell you about one of those because that's just kind of what we seem to do sometimes when we get on the, the platform. Um, but I was, my son was, my eight-year-old son was invited to a birthday party back in August. And it was one of those parties that was going to be, you know, 12 to 15, eight-year-old little boys. And this particular little boy invited them to TXR Paintball. And this was the first time for my son. This was, um, Braden had never played paintball before, so he had some anxiety going into that. He was a little bit nervous, and he's, th- he's like, Dad, is it going to hurt? And I said, well, it's, it might sting a little bit, but if you're good, just, you won't get hit. So just be good, all right? Don't, 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 be the, don't be the worst one out there. And so he immediately, you know, was kind of nervous but excited all at the same time. And I was kind of thinking, you know, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to go drop my son off. I'm going to help make sure he's comfortable and acclimated to everything. And then I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go have some dad time. I'm going to go run some errands you know, go to academy, spend way too much money on fishing gear, that sort of thing, and then go back and pick him up. And so we get there, and if you've done paintball, you know there's kind of an introductory, inter- introductory uh, period where they're telling you of the rules, the safety things, all the things you can and can't do. And so I sit there, and I wait for him to go through that. I sit through it with him, and just to make sure that he's ready to roll. And um, we get to this point, they're about to start playing, and one of the moms looks at all the dads, and she says, dads, do y'all want to play? And immediately in my head, I thought, is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I played it cool because I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to jump up and be like, yes, yes, yes. I thought, yeah, yeah I'll play. You know, if, if, you know what? If, if you need some extra players, you have an extra gun, I'll, I'll fill in. That's not a problem. I, you know, all the other things can wait. And so we started playing paintball. And, you know, I'm, I'm hanging with Braden, and we're, we're, you know, teaming up, and we're playing against the other dads and their kids and having a lot of fun. And it was, it was hot, it was sweaty, it was competitive, and, and we were having a blast. And then we get to the very end of the, of the, the time, and the, the referee says, hey, I think we got enough paint and enough time for one more game. And I'm kind of thinking, I'm tired, you know, this is, this is, this is it's, it's hot. And he goes, but let's do this. He said, let's go dads versus sons. And I thought to myself, Wes, be cool, <laughs> stay chill, don't go crazy in this. And so I'm like, all right, that's fine. And the, and the boys are amped. They're like, oh, yeah, let's do this. We're going to shoot you, Dad. We're going to get you. They're, like, they're talking smack. And so they get to their end of the field. I get to my end of the field with all the other dads, and we're all kind of, you know, hanging out. And I'm thinking, all right, just, just play it cool. You know, let them have their moment. Don't dominate. And then they say, all right, let's go. And so we start going, and I immediately begin to look around, and the other dads are going. I mean, it's, it's like, and I immediately think, oh, we're doing this. And I go into instant special ops mode. We wrecked them. I mean, wrecked them. They had no chance. Every single boy left that field crying, all right? They were <laughs> devastated. I was proud. I was like, yeah, that's right. Still got it. You better know who your daddy is. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm loving it. I think back to that, and some of you are judging me right now. You're like, I can't believe, I can't believe you would do that. You're a student pastor, and you're treating eight-year-olds this way. 
Some of you dads are like, man, I totally would have done the same thing. If only I could shoot my eight-year-old with a paintball gun, that would be. But I begin to think back, and I'm like, that's not my proudest moment. But there's something in us, there's something in me that's wired to win. I like to win. I like competition. I like to feel the, the glory of a winning moment. And I know that that's a little bit ridiculous with paintball for eight-year-olds, but we're all driven to that whether it's to get to the top of the ladder in the corporate office, whether it's you know, to get the starting position on the football team, to make the most money, to get the most likes on that social media post, that selfie that you took 25 times in the HEB parking lot just to get the perfect lighting, the perfect hair. I, I've seen it. I walked up on a lady the other day, I was walking through the parking lot at Walmart and she's sitting there taking pictures and she's turning and I just like made eye contact and she was like, puts her phone down. But there's something in us, we want to feel significant. We want to feel important. We want to feel successful. But today, I want us to look at that and to dig into that and begin to understand that it's actually something that can be incredibly dangerous. And I'm not saying that the pursuit of something great or the pursuit of success or achievement or accomplishment is bad, but if we put everything in that and we begin to think that, you know what, I'm pretty awesome. I'm pretty good, that it can actually wreck us. We can be wrecked by success. And we see it in our culture all the time. We see it on ESPN, E60 stories, athletes that were at the top of their game only to have a tremendous fall. We see it in the news, this, the next celebrity that had it all and then just finds himself in, in the, the, the rock bottom place in life. And we're intrigued by that. But the truth is, is that we can all find ourselves in that place. And so as we've been going through this unshakable series, we've been looking at several tests in the book of Daniel that God allows us to experience. And today I want us to talk about the test of success because if we're not careful, it will wreck us. You know, the, the, the test of ego and pride and arrogance can be incredibly destructive. And just a little bit of background before we dive into chapter four, one of the main guys that we hear about in this book is this guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. And we know a lot about King Nebuchadnezzar. Let me give you a little bit of backstory. King Nebuchadnezzar, he grew up, his father was the king of Babylon. So he grew up in a powerful family. But as he began to grow, he became a young general in his dad's army. And he wasn't just like this guy who kind of went to battle and had some wins, had some losses. He dominated as the general. He went to battle against the Assyrians. They were the most powerful people on the planet at the time, and he overpowered them. He began to conquer them. Under his leadership, the Babylonian Empire became the biggest, strongest empire in all of the world. I mean, this guy is rock star status. He's got fame, he's got fortune, he's got authority. People wanna be like him, people listen to him when he talks. He had an issue, though. And we see it throughout. We've seen symptoms of it throughout the book so far. He's got a pride issue. He's got an ego issue. You know, a lot of us have different issues. We've all got those issues that we seem to constantly wrestle with. For some, maybe it's anger. For others, it's unforgiveness. For King Nebuchadnezzar, it was pride. And pride can be incredibly destructive. And so when we pick up in chapter 4, we begin to realize that King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to kind of summarize this for us, and then we're going to look at some pieces, but basically what happens is, is King Nebuchadnezzar is in his 50s, and he's been ruling and reigning for decades, and so he's had it all, he's had all the power, all the authority, all the success, and he has this dream, and he wakes up and he's bothered by it, 
He's uncomfortable with the dream that he had the night before. And so like he did about 32 years earlier, he calls in somebody to interpret the dream for him because he believes there's something to this. I need to understand what this means. So he calls on Daniel, the wise man that is Daniel. And he says, Daniel, I've had this dream and I need you to tell me what it means. And Daniel begins to have a conversation with him. And as he talks to him, he's basically saying, hey, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but God is fed up with you. He is fed up with your ego. He's fed up with your arrogance. You think it's all about you, and you have forgotten God. And he begins to remind him, of, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, you realize you would be homeless if it wasn't for God. All that you have, all that you've conquered, all that you've been able to accumulate would not be possible if God had not allowed it. But you've got some ego problems. I mean, come on, King Nebuchadnezzar, you've built a 90-foot statue for yourself. Is that not the pinnacle of ego? You thought you were God. But remember right after that, you watched three guys get into a fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were put in a fiery furnace, and God protected them. They didn't even smell like smoke when they walked out of there. And in that moment, King Nebuchadnezzar, you recognized that you're not God, and God is God, and you proclaimed your loyalty to him. Do you remember that? And then he, sa he says, but quickly after that, you began to live for yourself again. You began to live with the mindset that it's all about you. And the bad news, King Nebuchadnezzar, is that God's done with it. And so here's what he's going to do. You're going to lose your kingdom. You're going to lose the palace that you have built up, that you have created. You're going to lose it all. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to go insane. And you're going to find yourself out in the wilderness living like an animal. But there's hope. And he tells King Nebuchadnezzar at the end, he says, if you will humble yourself, this can all be avoided. What he's saying, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, if you will recognize that it's not all about you, and it's actually all about God, and humble yourself to God, then you can avoid the fall of your success. He didn't say he's going to take away his success, but you can avoid the devastation that is coming. And as we hear that story, I think it's important for us to recognize, especially as Americans, that we will be tested in our success. And depending on how you handle the test, if you pass the test, then you may get more success. But if you fail the test, you will be wrecked by your success. And so I want us to ask two questions and get the answers to those questions this morning. The first, que first question is, what wrecks us? What is it that wrecks us? And then we're gonna look at how do we recover from a tragic wreck. And so as we begin to ask this question, what is it that wrecks us? Number one is simply this, and we see this in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. What wrecks us is we get comfortable and complacent. Look what it says in Daniel chapter four, verse five. It says, I, King, I Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. That indicates to me that he's feeling pretty good about things in his life. I mean, he is chilling in his palace. He is living the dream, content and prosperous. And he says, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. You know, when things are going really good, it's easy for this to happen. 
I mean, we live in America, land of comfort, land of the lazy boys, pillow top mattresses, air conditioned and heated seats in our automobiles. We've even upped the game, gone next level, and now you can get seats that have a massager that massages your back. I, I don't know that that's safe. It wouldn't be for me, but that's, we love comfort, and there's nothing wrong with comfort. But we have to be careful in those comfortable times to not become complacent. Look what it says in verse 30. King Nebuchadnezzar said, is not this the great Babylon? Notice this. I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Do you see what he's saying here? Do you see what he's recognizing? He's saying, man, I am living the dream. This is good. And I did it all by myself. Look what I was able to accomplish. My success is great. I'm enjoying it. This is, this is amazing. King Nebuchadnezzar ultimately finds himself in a place where he thought it was all about him. Complacency is that. It's this idea that, man, I've, I'm pretty satisfied with what I've done. I'm pretty satisfied with what I've been able to accomplish. But failing to recognize that there's some potential danger down the road because I'm so focused on all my success. That's where he finds himself. It's all about him. And I think we can have a tendency to fall in that same spot where we begin to think it's all about me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, let's have a little crowd participation here. I want you to look at your neighbor and just say, it's not about me. Full participation, ready, go. Man, don't you feel better already? Now look at your other neighbor and say, it's not about you. Do you see what just happened? You were a lot more amped to tell the other person it wasn't about them. <laughs> but to, to say it's not about me is kind of like, man, it's, it's really not about me. But we love telling other people it's not about you. We're going to lunch where I want to go to lunch. It's not about you. But that's, that's, the, that's the tension that's going on in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. He thinks, man, this is all about me. It's interesting, my two little boys, when they were younger, I never had to sit them down on my lap and say, hey, hey Braden, Cam, come here. Listen, dude, I'm concerned. You are sharing way too much. Brayden, listen, I know you've got some great friends, but you talk about how great they are all the time. I, would you recognize that there's some great things about you too? Like, I never had to do that. In fact, it was the opposite. I had to kind of curb the, like, hey, hey, listen, I know you're awesome. And I think you're awesome because you're my son, but you're not that awesome. Can we chill out just a little bit? But we're born with that. It's something that's inside of all of us. But we, as we grow up, we get some common sense and we kind of get some filters and we don't talk about it, express it. But let's be real, sometimes we continue to feel that way. It's one of the greatest schemes of the enemy. He begins to convince us that we don't need God because really, we're pretty awesome. It's what he did in the Garden of Eden. He looked at Adam and Eve and he says, hey, listen, God is holding out on you. You don't need God. You could be like God. Just do what you want to do. And we've been struggling. We've been hung up with that ever since. Our culture even tells us that. I mean, our culture says, hey, you are awesome. You are special. You're a snowflake. Here's your trophy. Like, be, be whatever you want to be. Listen, I've got aspirations to be Chance the Rapper. Nobody in this room strongly believes that that's possible. I can't rap, I can't rhyme, I can't, I can't hold a beat, like that's it's just not possible. No matter how much I want to be, no matter how awesome I think I am, that is impossible. But there's something in our culture that drives us to that. 
Let me ask you a question that maybe help, may help all of us diagnose where we are in this. How comfortable and complacent are we? Do you pray more in pain or in pleasure? Do you pray more in pain or in pleasure? You know, it's interesting to me, the very first church I worked at while I was going to seminary up in North Texas was an oil town. And I remember when I was there, um, we were, the, the community was, was doing really well. Oil prices were up, things were going great. The church was doing okay, but I remember listening to people talk about there was a time in the 80s when the church was just exploding. They couldn't fit everybody in their worship center. And I began to kind of put it together and realize the church was growing and thriving and people were showing up when the oil prices hit rock bottom. There was pain, there was chaos, and people ran to God. But when that price started to go back up, they started thinking, you know what, I got this. We're gonna be okay, I'm pretty awesome. And they began to forget their need for God. It's the reason churches were full after 9-11. Because in our pain, we recognize God. But some of our greatest destruction can come when we're enjoying pleasure. And that's what we see in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. The second thing that wrecks us is we ignore the warning signs. Look what it says in verse 24. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. I mean, this is a strong, I mean, this is the most powerful man in the world that he's talking to. And he's saying, this is what's about to happen to you. Something has to change. This is a warning conversation. He begins to outline for him the exact problem and what's going to happen as a result of the problem. You know, you and I have some warning signs in our lives. You know, I don't know about you, but there are times where I'm driving down the road and that light comes on. You know what light I'm talking about, the check engine light? And if you're like me, I'm not a car savvy guy. I know that that maybe takes away my man card, but that's just not who I am. I'll get out and I just like check the engine. Okay, I'm gonna get out, I'm gonna check the engine. So I pop the hood and I look at it. And it's like, everything looks good to me. I mean, it would be nice if there was like a little gnome in there with a red flag. Here's the problem. You know, I just start guessing. I'm like, maybe it's the head gasket. Uh, maybe, oh, you know what, maybe it's, I need washer fluid. Or you know what, maybe we should put washer fluid on the head gasket, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to do in that moment, but I know something's not working right. I had a friend in high school that used to give me a ride to school every single morning, my freshman and sophomore year. And I remember there was a time where her check engine light came on and she was talking about it. She was kind of frustrated by it. And I was like, well, maybe you should get your dad to check that out and see what's going on. She's like, yeah, I need to talk to him. About a week later, she picks me up and I noticed that the light's still on, but she's put black electrical tape over <laughs> the piece of plastic. So you can't see the light, but you can still kind of see the glow. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm. The, night, the light just annoys me and I haven't had a chance to talk to my dad about it yet and I'm like, oh, that's smart. And another week goes by and we had first period together and I remember sitting in class and one of my coaches comes in, running down the hall into our classroom and he goes, hey girl, your car's on fire in the parking lot. You might wanna go check that out. And I'm like, uh, she didn't pay attention to the check engine light. You know, some of us have that going on in our lives. We have some warning signs. And I don't know what it is for you, but I know some of the common ones. Maybe it's conflict. You are experiencing conflict right now. Maybe it's in relationships with some of those that are the closest to you. And there's that tension that you're feeling. Maybe for some it's just chaos. 
everything was going pretty good, everything was kind of under control, and now you find yourself in a place where it's almost like, man, I can't manage this anymore. You're losing sleep at night, you're frustrated, you feel like you're losing hold, and there's just this chaos. Maybe there's confusion. You feel like you're in over your head all of a sudden. It was all so easy for so long, and you were, you were succeeding and finding accomplishment and achievement, and now you're in this place, you're like, I don't even know what to do next. I don't know how to manage this. I don't know what to do. Maybe there's a temptation that's there, a temptation at work, a temptation at school, a temptation with him or with her, all warning signs. And I think it's important for us to recognize and take a moment to identify what those might be in our lives. So just sit and reflect and just think and consider what's going on in your life right now. What warning signs are there? Maybe you need to ask somebody close to you. I would go out on a limb and say, there's probably some people that would love to tell you. You might be riding home with them today from church and they would love to tell you about some of your warning signs. You may not wanna hear it, but they would love to tell you. And listen, I'm not giving you a green light to put somebody on blast in the car on the way home tonight or this morning. But I think you owe it to yourself to know because what we don't know, we can't do anything about. But what's happening has the potential to wreck us and we've got to pay attention to the warning signs. Look what, King, look what Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, hey, listen, here's the warning, but here's what you can do. And he says, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. So he's got some advice. He's like, hey, here's the warning, but listen, it's not all doom and gloom. He's like, hey, listen, you can do this. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. And what that translation actually means is he's saying, if you would recognize God and begin to think like God and agree with God of what's right and what's best for you, Something begins to happen. So he's saying, hey, you need to put your focus back on God and not yourself. And then he gives them something practical and your wickedness by being kind to the impressed. It may be that your prosperity will, it may be then that your prosperity will continue. He's saying, hey, listen, King, you need to recognize it's not all about you. Put your focus back on God. And then he says, serve the oppressed. Now that's interesting. What's the best way to take the focus off of ourselves and begin to think like God, think with God. Don't focus on me, but think of the lowest in society that everybody else turns a blind eye to and says, you know what, they're, they're too far gone. He goes, no, you go serve them. And he says, and then your prosperity may continue. Now think about that. What would it look like in our culture if we began to take on the, the mindset, it's not about me? Marriages would thrive. Abuse would disappear. You would never hear about stories where weak and vulnerable were exploited or used for gain. The Me Too movement becomes a non-issue when we take on this mindset, it's not about me. I think it's important for us to recognize that this morning. The third thing is this, we procrastinate doing what's necessary. So we get comfortable and complacent and then we find ourselves where we begin to ignore the warning signs. And then sometimes, even when we know what the warning signs are, and people have made us aware of those, and we know what to do, we procrastinate. We put off. Look what it says King Nebuchadnezzar did. It says, 12 months later. We can all agree that's late, all right? You might be that person that's always late. This is 12 months late. All your friends have written you off 11 months ago. They're done. He's 12 months late. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, he said, 
is not this the greatest Babylon I have built as the royal residence? He's still like, man, look what I have done. He said, is my robot, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Even as the words were on his lips, he's still living in that comfort and complacency. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. This is that oh snap moment. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live like with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. This guy loses his mind. Just like he was warned, his success wrecked him because he failed to recognize God in his most successful moment. I mean, he loses his mind. He goes from being the most powerful man in the world to a drooling fool in the wilderness, living like an animal, hair matted, fingernails like claws, it's described as. I mean, this this is rock bottom. And the reality is, is many of us know people that that's happened to, or maybe that's happened to you. I mean, you've got that friend that there was a, se- a season or a time in their life where he was like, hey, I, I trust God. I'm gonna follow what he has called me to do with my life. And then they just finally make a decision. You're like, you know what? I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And they begin to make a series of decisions away from God's direction and purpose for their life. And you begin to see the, the consequences of that. You begin to question. You begin to ask them. Maybe you ask yourself. You're like, what is wrong with me? Or you look at them and say, what is wrong with you? What is happening right now? Have you lost your minds? Are you really gonna leave your husband and your kids for, for that guy? Are you looking at me and say, are you, are, you, are you really gonna leave your wife and all that you've invested in this marriage for her? What's wrong with you? Have you lost your mind? It's the same thing that's happening to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he finds himself in a place where he's been wrecked by the mindset that it's all about him and what's good for him. Now it's easy for us to get to this place and find ourselves in this place. And if I was to end right here and pray and say, have a great week, nobody's having a great week right now because you're not feeling real good about this. But there's hope. And Daniel communicated the hope at the very beginning. And King Nebuchadnezzar ignored it. But I want us to look at that hope this morning. Look what it says. There's, there's, a, there's three things that we can do. How do we recover from this? How do we recover from this, the, the wreck of success? The first thing we can do is look up. Look what King Nebuchadnezzar did in verse 34. It says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. King Nebuchadnezzar, in the pit, in the worst place in his life, he chooses to look up, and he recognizes God, and immediately his mind begins to change. Something begins to happen in his life. The same opportunity is there for us. Unfortunately, what I see happen many times is as I've been walking through life with people and even in my own life sometimes, there are times that instead of looking to God, I choose to do some other things first. And a lot of things that we choose are things that not, don't necessarily make the situation better, but it begins to insulate ourselves from the effects of the situation we found ourselves in. And so we run to things like alcohol so that we can numb the feelings of the bad situation going on around us. It's where addiction comes from. We run to the pursuit of money 
to the pursuit of success. We run to a relationship that we said we would never be a part of. We we recognize that I'm lowering my standards to be in this relationship with him or with her, but it's making me feel a little bit better. It's, It's pushing back the effects that I'm feeling in my life because of the poor choices that I've made. We run to cars, we run to houses, we run to social scenes to insulate ourselves from the impact. King Nebuchadnezzar actually does something right. He gets it right in this moment. He looks to God. Here's what I believe happened. King Nebuchadnezzar had to make a choice. You see, his life could have ended looking like a wild animal drooling all over himself in the wilderness. It could have ended there. That could have been when he could have died that way. But he made a choice and he said, I'm gonna look to God because he began to remember God. And the same opportunity is there for us. But something happens as we look to God and we recognize him, we begin to wake up to who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. So we look up, then we wake up. Look what it says. Then I praised the most high. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. He recognizes God and as he begins to focus on God, his life begins to change and he begins to become overwhelmed with gratitude for what God is doing in his life and what God wants to do in his life. And it leads him to this place of worship he begins to declare how great he is. Just a, just a little while earlier, he's declaring how great he is. You see the shift. God flips the script in his life. Here's my favorite thing about this situation in this story, is it's not just a story or a moment in history about a guy named Daniel trying to convince a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar to focus on God, but it's pointing us to Jesus. You see, because without Jesus, We are just like King Nebuchadnezzar. It's all about me. And the result of that is exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar experienced. He is in the wilderness, struggling, not living the best life, not experiencing God's goodness. But you see, God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to be our rescue, to rescue us from our own depravity so that we could have a better life. And King Nebuchadnezzar recognizes God's goodness in this. When we begin to reflect on Jesus, we see that Jesus chased after us to rescue us when we didn't wanna have anything to do with him. And when I realize that and I understand that, it begins to change my life and I begin to become overwhelmed with gratitude for who he is and for who he wants to be in my life. You see, unfortunately, I think that there's a tendency for many of us that if Jesus was to physically walk in the room this morning, come in through one of those back doors, 5'10", long hair, perfectly groomed beard, blue eyes, American, that's not what he's gonna look like, but if he was to walk in through those doors, we immediately begin to feel this tension. Because the truth is, is for most of my life, I've not focused on who he is and who he wants to be in my life. And so he's gonna walk into this room and he's gonna look at me and he's gonna point at me and he's gonna say, Wes, what is wrong with you? Have you lost your mind? Are you, are you still struggling with that? I mean, you, you've been saying you were gonna stop doing that for years. Are you, are you still living for yourself? I mean, that's, that's the mindset that I begin to take on when somebody like Jesus walks into the room and begins to reflect on my life. But I don't think that's what my Jesus would do. Not, not from what I see in scripture. From what I read in scripture about my Jesus and your Jesus is that he would walk in this room and he would point at you and he would say, I love you and I'm obsessed with you and I have great plans for you I have an incredible purpose for you will you just trust me how much longer are you going to keep trusting yourself will you just trust me 
and wake up to who I am and who I want to be? Will you be like King Nebuchadnezzar and wake up to the reality that life is better God's way? King Nebuchadnezzar gets this. And I think it's what we're called to recognize this morning. He looks up and he wakes up and then he has an opportunity to speak up. Look what's happened, look at this last few verses. Verse 36, it says, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Do you see what's happening? King Nebuchadnezzar looks to God. He needs a rescue. He looks to God, he wakes up to who God is, and God rescues him. He restores Nebuchadnezzar to who he was supposed to be. When we place our faith in Jesus, he restores us to what we were ultimately created to be. And that was in a relationship with a God who's crazy about us, who loves us and has a great plan and purpose for our lives. And when we, when we do that, and we recognize Jesus, something happens that's not explainable. There's an explosion in the mind and in the heart. Life change begins to happen, and he flips the script of your life, and people begin to look, and they begin to take notice, and they're like, oh my gosh, what's happened to her? What is wrong with her? Has, have they lost their mind? I mean, he's, he's, he's put all the substances down. He's changed his life. He loves his wife. She loves her husband. What, what is happening? Because you begin to live a life that demands an explanation. And it's in that moment you have an opportunity to speak up about the life change and the story that God is writing because his story is better than my story. And the work that God is doing in you becomes the work that he wants to do through you in the lives of those that you're connected with. I wanna close with this story. To help us understand the adequate response. When I was about seven years old, um, my, my dad and I were actually just talking about this a couple months ago. We were hanging out and we were laughing about this. But when I was seven, my brother was four, my dad managed a ranch in far west Texas. And this is a massive place. I mean, it's 25, 26 square miles up in the mountains, about 25, 35 miles away from the closest town. It's an hour and a half drive to anywhere. I mean, it, we were out in the middle of nowhere. And we're out there, me, my dad, my brother, and my two uncles, and we're driving around. It's getting close to the end of the day. It's right after Christmas. There's a little bit of snow on the ground. I mean, it, it, was, it was cold. And we're driving around, and my dad sees this, this group of deer, and in this group of deer, there's this huge buck. And some of you guys, like that, that, that energizes you. You get a little amped about that. It's, it's, it's almost that time of year. Some of you are already doing that. Tomorrow, the cold front's coming. You're like, oh, man, it's time to go hunting. My, my dad was like, wait, we got to go. Let's go look at this deer. And so he goes, hey, boys, listen, I need y'all to stay at the truck. And I always hated that as a kid. Now that I'm a dad, I, rec I realize the importance of that. Hey, it's easier, life's easier if you just stay right here. But he says, hey, you guys stay here. This is what's best for you. Here we go, we'll be right back. So I watched them walk off, and they walk right over the hill where I can't see them anymore. But I've been to this spot before, and I know that just on the other side of that hill, there's about a 1,500-foot cliff. And so the brain of a seven-year-old begins to work when they don't come back as quick as I want them to. And I begin to think, they're dead. They have fallen off the cliff. The deer chased them, tried to ram them, and pushed them off the cliff. And I look at my little brother and I say, Dad, they're gone. Like, I, we're, we're, we're stuck, we're, we're by ourselves, we've gotta do something. And so I immediately forgot what my dad had told me, stay at the truck, that's what's best. And I said, we've gotta get out of here. We've gotta go to somewhere safe. 
And so I came up with a plan and I said, hey, the sun's about to set. I mean, the sun was literally touching the horizon. And I said, we, get to, we gotta get to Topper Frank's house. About 20 miles as the crow flies. Genius idea, right? And my brother's four and he goes. So we start walking and immediately, I'll know, man, I can remember it clear as day. We're walking and I begin to hear coyotes howling. Uh-oh. All of a sudden, I don't have the same confidence that I had in my plan. We were still at the truck. But we kept walking because I thought, man, we've got to get there. But darkness started to set in. And I remember getting to a place where we were panicked. We were scared. We thought we were going to get eaten by wild animals. But we kept walking, kept going, confident in the plan. And then there was a moment where I heard a voice. It was the voice of my dad. Wesley. Dad, Wesley, Dad, boys, where are you? Wesley, we keep walking. And then there was a moment where I had to make a choice. What am I gonna do? Am I gonna keep walking, trusting my plans over what my dad had told me to do? Am I gonna run and hide? Because my dad was a strict dad. I mean, we, we suffered consequences for poor decisions, all right? That's just what we did. And I didn't listen to what he told me to do. I trusted myself instead. So I could have run to hide because I, you know, I didn't want to suffer the consequences of a bad decision. Or I could turn around and run to the voice of my father who's crazy about me and he's coming to find me because he knows I'm in trouble. And I think that's the adequate response for us this morning. There's a father who is calling out to you. You've trusted your plans. You've experienced your success your achievement, your accomplishment for a long time. And there's danger ahead when you continue to think that way. But God is calling out and he said, hey, listen, will you turn around and run back to me and recognize me, recognize my love for you? Maybe for some, this will be the very first time you've ever turned and actually looked to God. And I wanna encourage you to take that step and then just hold on as he begins to wake you up to his goodness and his love and his plans and his purposes for your life.